the blessings, all the spiritual blessings that you and I have in the heavenlies because we are in Christ. We have placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone, abandoning good works and religion, and we were taken out of Adam and the curse of Adam and the punishment of Adam, uh, the eternal separation, and we were put in Christ. And there we are safe forevermore. So he begins, remember how he begins, with how the Father planned this all from, be, from before the foundation of the world. The Godhead knew they would create everything out of nothing. They knew that we, humans, mankind, would be made in God's image to have a relationship with them. They knew Adam would rebel against God by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thereby plunging himself into sin and death, and ultimately spiritual death, punishment, in a lake of fire. And yet, before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ knew he was coming to pay our sin. So the work of the Father, he chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be adopted as full-fledged, privileged sons and daughters in the household of the Father. He has made us accepted in the beloved. We saw this morning the, the purchased work of Christ. In him we have redemption. He paid the price for our sin. Through his blood, a wicked, violent death on the cross, he bore the wrath of the Father in his own body. So in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the removal of the record of all wrong. Isn't that the greatest blessing? To know that as a believer in Jesus, not one sin of yours will ever be mentioned. God cannot bring condemnation, judgment, or shame, or guilt upon one sin. Why? Because he already exacted payment on Jesus on the cross. He cannot get a double payment for the debt. Isn't that great news? Forgiveness of sins, the record of wrong, wiped clean in the eyes of the Father. I am so thankful for that. What a blessing that is. Of course, not only that, but he is, through the, according to the riches of his grace, he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and prudence. He's opened our eyes to understanding the scripture, and he has made known to us the mystery of his will. He has revealed to the church the most intimate details of the consummation of all things in Christ. How he is going to gather all things in Christ. The nation Israel will be gathered together and born again. The church will be all together as the bride of Christ. Jesus will be at the highest point and every knee shall bow and submit to the Lord Jesus. All creation will, be bow, will bow before their majestic creator. Isn't that wonderful? That is the goal and consummation of all things. Remember what Colossians 1 says? In him, Jesus Christ is the architect of all things. Colossians chapter 1. He is the architect. He planned it all. He's also the builder. All things were made through him and, and in him. And then it says, all things are held together through him. He is the sustainer of all things. He's keeping all the atoms and the electrons and everything in motion. He's keeping everything knitly tied together. Because as soon as the Lord Jesus says, Stop holding these, uh, atom, uh, all these atoms together with their covalent bonds. Well, at that point, everything is going to melt with intense heat. Boy, praise the Lord. He's our architect, builder, sustainer. But then everything, according to Colossians 1, is for him. He is the ultimate end of all things. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So we looked at that this morning, and now we turn our attention to the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, as we now look at the text, thank you for the Holy Scripture, that this is 
inspired, breathed out by you, by the Holy Spirit of old, as men wrote these, these words. Thank you, Father, that we have the preserved word for us. We can have confidence and trust that these words are absolute truth. And I pray, Father, that these words tonight would be taken by the Holy Spirit and made alive in our heart and soul. That we would have great understanding. And then our response is one of wholehearted, of just following and loving and um, imitating Christ wherever we go. Thank you for the gospel of our salvation, that we heard the news and we believed. To the praise and glory of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. So let's look at the witness of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, the witness of the Spirit. Looking at verse 11. In Him, in Jesus Christ, remember all of these blessings repeated over and over are found when we are in Christ. In Him, in Jesus Christ also, we have, the New King James says, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. Let's go back to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. There are two ways to read that in the Greek. One way is, like the New King James says, we have obtained an inheritance. We have received one by being in Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8. First Peter talks about how our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. So it could be that we obtain an inheritance from the Lord. But I think the better way to read it is in him we are his inheritance. We are his purchased possessions. I think that fits closer and better with the text. Listen. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 29, after Moses is talking about the nation Israel and saying, you will go away from the Lord, you will rebel against him, but he is going to bring you back. And then he says this, for you are God's purchased possessions. You are God's inheritance. You are his possessions for the praise and glory of his grace. So Deuteronomy 9, 29 calls Old Testament Israel that. Peter says that you and I are a chosen generation a royal nation, a holy priesthood, and then it says we are his own special people. We are his own special possession. So I don't think that, I mean, granted, we do receive an inheritance from the Lord, but I think the better way to understand this is in Christ, we, we are his inheritance. We are his reward. Everything that he went for on the cross, we are the reward for it. That's why he created us, so that we might be to the praise of his glory, that we might how else, is he, how else is he going to have his creatures give obedience and worship to him unless he stoops to save us? So in saving us, he makes us his very own prized and special possessions. So in him also, we are, or we, he has obtained us as his inheritance. This is predestined. Being predestined according to the purpose of him, so this is part of God's plan. It was his purpose to have a called out people that would be for the praise of his glory. Listen to this. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This idea of works, it's power, it's energy. In other words, 
God has called out people for the praise of his glory, and you and I who have believed in him are part of that group, and there is nothing that is going to stop the counsel of his will. Satan cannot thwart it, like I said this morning. The demons can't. All of the earth could rebel against God, and they still cannot stop his purpose of Christ bringing all things together in one and every knee, and every knee bowing to him. Isn't it great that that is our powerful God? There's, he's, there's no opportunity for failure in our God. The thing is, you and I are part of his purchased possession, and we need to remember that. We have such a low view of the church. We think the church is just, it's kind of a place to go and it's a place to be, and that's about it. I can tell you something. The view of Christ in the church is very high. I can tell you that because who is the head? Christ. And who is his body? The church. You are. Not the building, but you people are the members of his body. Which tells me the head and the body, as intimate and connected as they are, the church is highly prized by Christ. And if we take such a low view of the church, it's almost like he would be offended. He'd be like, you mean I went to the cross, I suffered an eternal debt for your sin to bring you as a, a prized inheritance for my, the reward of my suffering, and then your response is simply to despise it and think little of it. You see what I'm saying? The Bible also calls the church the bride of Christ. And I can tell you this, I love a lot of people on this planet. I mean, I, I'm supposed to love everybody and care for everybody like Jesus does, but I don't love anybody like I love Melissa. She is my prized, prized person, right? So if, if she wasn't, she would have a lot of right to question that. And I think if the same thing with the Lord, the Lord looked at his church, his bride, the church, and he'd be like, well, wait a minute. Don't you realize we have an intimate union? We have an intimate relationship. So let me read this again. In him, in Christ also, we are his prized, purchased possession, his inheritance, being predestined, this is all part of his plan, according to the purpose of him who works, he's going to accomplish through his power all things according to the counsel of his will. Then look at verse 12. That we, I think Paul is not talking about Jewish people, you might find some commentators that would say that, but I think that the, the, the we is the, begin, the early church. The people that were saved before the Ephesians. Are you guys with me? Paul is saying, listen, Ephesians, you have to realize you're standing in Christ. You are his bride. You are his church. You are his possession, his prized possession. This is part of his predestined plan. He's working all things out with his own power, so there's no chance for failure. And this is all going according to the counsel of his will. But then he says, that we who first trusted in the Lord. He's, he's saying all the early church, Jew and Gentile, they heard the gospel, they believed, they trusted in the Lord, and that's how they were added into this special relationship. He says this, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. There is an end result of our being in Christ. It is to be the, to the praise of his glory. It is not to live for ourselves to be selfish, to be unloving, to be ungracious, to be unforgiving. No, it is to be the praise of his glory. You know what his glory is? It is his brightness. It is the summation of all of his attributes. How is the world going to see Christ in this? In this how, where, is, where are they going to see Christ? He's invisible. He's seated at the right end of the Father. You know where people are going to see Christ? In our lives. They're going to see it how you talk, how you act, 
where you go, what you do, you would not believe how many people during the week, uh, students especially, they'll be like, Mr. Wita, I saw you running. Oh, great. Thank you. How did the form look? Oh, Mr. Wita, I saw you pumping gas. Oh, thank you. You know, I'm human. I do have to get gas once in a while. Oh, Mr. Wita, I saw you were at a restaurant. Yes, believe it or not, I, I do have to eat. I mean, but they're always watching me. And my students at school, they drill me all the time. Do you do this? Do you watch this show? Do you know this? Do you do that? Have you ever said this? Do you drink? Have you ever smoked? Do you do drugs? Have you ever done a drug? I mean, why? They're just wanting to find out what makes me tick and why I, why I am like I am. I think someone just accused me. But they, they want to find out, am I really going to be to the praise of his glory or not? They want to know, does Mr. Weta have the authentic thing in salvation? All right? And I have to go back to this verse often and say, Lord, I'm your purchased possession. I was predestined to be adopted as your son for the praise of your glory. And if anything, I need people to see Christ in my life. But it's not just enough for them to see him in my life. Look at the next verse, verse 13. In him, you, you Ephesian believers, in him, you also trusted. See, you also placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So on one hand, God has chosen the elect before the foundation of the world. But And I believe firmly in that, but I also firmly believe the gospel invitation is open to everyone. Whoever will come to Christ can. They can place their faith in Jesus Christ. By placing their faith in Jesus, they become part of the elect. They become part of the chosen group to inherit eternal life. But the gospel is available to all. Christ died and paid for all the sins of the world, not just mine and not just the elect, all the world. And these Ephesians... They heard the gospel, maybe in the marketplace. They saw it in Paul's life, right? But they heard it from his lips. They heard the gospel. Here's what it says, verse 13. In him you also trusted. And now he's going to remind them about how this came about. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. It is not enough for people in Hermantown and the surrounding area to see a good life in you. If they see a good life in you, who gets the credit? I get the credit. People see me being a good person. Oh, you're a pastor. You're a good person. Then I get all the credit. I have got to deflect that with words of speech that bring it to Jesus Christ. It is not, again, it is not enough for you to be a good person out there doing good works that you were created for. In order for people to be saved, they have to hear the word of truth. You agree? They have to hear the clear word of truth. I hear so many unclear gospels all the time. We have got to be as clear as Scripture when it comes to sharing the gospel. So go with me to Romans quickly. Hold your place there. Go to Romans chapter 10. Look at this. Romans chapter 10. I want to just remind you of something you already know. For the Ephesian believers, they had trusted in the Lord after they heard the word of truth. It is absolute truth. The gospel is truth. It's called the gospel of your salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. There's a pattern here. We know that whoever, uh, the previous text ends with whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They would need to know that Jesus died for their sins in their place and rose from the dead. 
And if they place their faith in him, that's what it means to call on him, to place their faith in him, they will be saved. Look at verse 14. The question is, how then shall they call on him? How can anyone believe on him? How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, they can't, can they? They they have to believe first. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Do you know how many people in our community have not heard the clear gospel? They've heard about Jesus, but they have not heard the gospel of truth. Many, many people, even as full of the Bible as this area is, there are many people who have not heard the word of truth. So it says, how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? Can they do that? No. They cannot hear They cannot believe in him until they first have heard about him. And how shall they hear without a preacher? True? They're not just going to... They need, they need somebody to bring the good news to them. And who is the someone for our area that is bringing the good news to the people around us? Us. us. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Uh, no, I, don't think just, I don't think the people at Super One are going to do that. I mean, they're busy selling their products, right? Maybe other churches won't do that because maybe if they do, they maybe don't even have a clear gospel. God has called us and other Bible-believing churches to speak the word of truth so people can hear the gospel, and then they can respond. And if they choose to reject, it's not your fault. It's not your issue. It's, let, that's their issue. We have got to be the messengers. We have to deliver it, don't we? I mean, I think about my sister, Karen, delivering me the message. I remember when she called me up and she said, she said, uh, Brian, I'm getting baptized by immersion as an adult. And I'm like, get out of there. It sounds like a cult. No, no, it's a Baptist church. I'm up in, in uh, Fort Richardson, up in Alaska. And I'm like, no way, get out of there. You know, that's, I mean, I, 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 but she kept sharing with me. It's by faith alone, in grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And I kept hearing that. I kept hearing that. I kept hearing that. Wow. Praise the Lord that she was willing to share the gospel with me over and over. I mean, I needed to hear it many, many times. So it says this, verse 15. How shall they preach unless they are sent? And I can tell you right now, God has sent every person in this church out in the area you are. You're in, you know, you're in your neighborhood for a reason. It's not just chance. God's not up in heaven, you know, spinning a wheel saying, well, let's see, where should I put Melissa and Brian? Yeah, let's, uh, I'll throw them there and whatever happens, happens. No, he's like, he's got seed planted everywhere so that we can get the gospel everywhere. You know why we're all not living in the same neighborhood? Because he's got us working in our own neighborhoods as, as evangelists, right? As missionaries. And so he goes on, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The idea of beautiful feet, the word beautiful, it's used for a flower that is full maturity. But the idea is, there is something about full maturity as a believer when you care enough about somebody that you are willing to share the gospel with them. Right? It takes a little bit of maturity to be able to say, you know what, I care enough about people that I, I need to tell them regardless of how they react. They need to know. They need to hear it. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, because it, of course it brings peace between God and man, who brings glad tidings of good things. It is really, you guys, the gospel is just good news. There's no bad news about it. Do you agree? It's not like God said, all right, I'm going to have you do a hard task. You've got to go out there and tell some bad news to people. Man, who'd want to do that? God is saying, I've got good news. The sin debt's paid in full. It's offered freely to all who will believe. You just need to go out and tell them good news. And if they don't receive it, don't you worry about it. I'll take care of that. Just do, go about your business. So Paul goes into Ephes- to the city of Ephesus. 
and he preaches. And here and there, people trust after they heard the gospel of salvation, the word of truth. True? Got to hear it first, and then they can believe. Let's go back to Ephesians 1, and, and let's get to the rest of the pattern here. Ephesians chapter 1. Do you think there's more people in our community that need to be saved? Absolutely. Uh, do you think God has called us to deliver that message? You bet. Oh, let me ask you this. If we are faithful this week to, to bring the good news to others, let's say we bring the good news to 100 people. Do you think God could save one or two of them? Well, of course. I mean, he might save 99 of them, but he could save one or two. Would it be worth it just to even see one or two saved if we deliver the message 100 times this week as a whole group, as a whole body? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's worth it. It is not in vain. It is well worth it. So Ephesians 1, listen to how he says this to the Ephesians, verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, so somebody delivered it to you, and Paul, says, Paul could say, I was one of those that delivered it to you. After you heard the word of truth, and then he calls this word of absolute truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, in whom also having believed. So their, their response was they must trust. You guys, be clear on, the, be clear on what the gospel expects. The gospel expe- expects our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And there are so many unclear ways to say it. And obviously, we've made it clear it's not praying a prayer. It's not asking Jesus into your heart. Um, it's not, I mean, because those things don't necessarily mean believe, and they're hard to understand what that actually means. Believe means you're not trusting your good works or your religious rituals. You are trusting the finished work of a person. His name is Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. So that you can make really clear. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. This is who you are. This is what you've done. And you must now trust Jesus. You must put your confidence and trust that he paid it all and there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve it. So let's be, let's be crystal clear on the gospel. In whom after you believed, listen to this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, there's two things about a seal. Ownership and security. If you put a seal on something, you are saying, I own it. That's mine. And if a king or anybody were to put a seal on Anything, it would be a guarantee. So there's two things. It's ownership and security. You know what's interesting? The word seal, being that you and I are sealed by the Holy Spirit, I think literally the seal is the Holy Spirit. He's the stamp in our lives that we belong to God and that we are secure in Christ. But the other place it's found is in the book of Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Actually, I had Melissa read it to me on the way here from the funeral. 2 Corinthians. Paul says it to the Corinthians. Do you know what the Corinthians and Ephesus, uh, Corinth and Ephesus were both known for? They were both uh, port cities. They were known for logging. So they would fell large trees way up north. Different logging firms from Corinth and Ephesus would go up there, and they would pick their trees. And when they found the trees that they wanted for their their, uh, business, you know what they would do? They would put Uh, a seal on it. They would put a seal on the log, and then the logs would all get mixed up. And the logs would go down the river, land in the different seas and all of that, 
And then finally, I bet those, these logs must have been thinking, oh man, I've been sealed and branded, but I, I've gone through storms and obstacles. I'm all mixed up. Is anybody, am I ever going to get to the right place? But then as the logs would drift down and come to the different ports, if you were in Corinth, you would look through all the logs and anything with your seal, you would pull out and take to be with you. That's the idea. It's ownership, and you are guaranteed that that log belongs to you and it will be with you now. That's the idea. Every single believer has the Holy Spirit as the stamp of ownership of God. You get, how much of the Holy Spirit do you get when you're born again, when you place your faith in Jesus? 100%. There are no second blessings or third blessings. You have all of the Holy Spirit at that moment. He indwells you permanently. And, and he is your stamp of ownership, but he is also your security. Here's how he says it. Um, in Ephesians 1, You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are owned by the Father. And then he says in verse 14, who is this Holy Spirit who dwells in us is the guarantee of our inheritance. Of course, we already know what that means, the earnest. It's the down payment. It's the idea of, this is God saying, I have given you my Holy Spirit, so I am good for all the rest that is coming. So because I have 100% of the Holy Spirit and I have since October 1st, 1993, it is a guarantee that all of the fulfillment of promises God has given me will take place. It is a guarantee. I cannot lose my salvation. I am eternally secure. The Holy Spirit is in me. In order for me to lose my salvation, I would have to be unsealed. The Holy Spirit would somehow have to leave me after being promised to live in me permanently. I would have to be unborn again. Uh, my new, uh, do you see what I'm saying? That you're, you're, you're with all sorts of problems if we are not eternally secure. But because I have the Holy Spirit, I, am, I belong to God, and I'm eternally His. And He is like the down payment. He's like the earnest money that you would put down to purchase a property. Now, what's the, what's the end product? He tells us what it is. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Now, I think this is a different inheritance. This is what the inheritance we get, like First Peter 2, uh, 1 is talking about. The Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance until the, re- here's when we get the full-fledged benefits, until the redemption of the purchased possession. I'll tell you what it is, you guys. Here's the purchased possession. It's this body right here. This is the purchased possession. This is what Christ went to the cross for. Me and you. But when is this purchased possession going to be finally, ultimately redeemed? When I get my glorified body. So right now I have the Holy Spirit in this temporary frame, and he's the earnest of my inheritance. He is the guarantee that God is going to fulfill his promise. And you know what God promised? I will rise from the dead. I will be given a glorified body, and that is the redemption of my purchased possession. That is when God will say, your salvation is now final and it is full. You were justified October 1st, 1993. You had a process of sanctification where you grew like Christ. And then on the day of resurrection, boom, you get the final product, a glorified body to live in forever. That's the fulfillment. That's what everything is driving for, right? Everything is driving for us in glorified bodies before our Heavenly Father, before the King, Jesus. Uh, This is so great. Mm -hmm. See, it's just one blessing after another. God the Father planned it all, God the Son purchased it all, and the Holy Spirit protects it all. He is the guarantee, the seal, that everything God has promised is going to be true. And so we end with this, verse 14, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Wow, hallelujah. See, the life in Christ is full of hope. 
Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Right? So don't forget, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You are not your own. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The dwelling place of God. It's great to think you have God in you. We'll talk more about that as we get to the end of Ephesians 1 with this prayer. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time in this text. Just thinking about the witness of the Spirit. I thank you for the Ephesians because the Ephesians heard the word of the gospel. They heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, our salvation. And whether they were in a marketplace, on the streets, at their homes, whatever, uh, they responded by faith. They believed. It was cr- so crystal clear. I pray, Father, that we would have a witness to Hermantown and Esco and the surrounding area just like Paul and the others did in, in, in Ephesus. That this week, as we, as we declare the word of the gospel, people will hear it and they will believe. And having believed, they will receive the Holy Spirit as a seal of ownership that they now belong to you. And then they are guaranteed, with the Holy Spirit living in them, they are guaranteed eternal life. can never be taken away. For guaranteed glorification, it is a promise, and you cannot break your promise. So I thank you, Father, that we have right now in this church the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, dwelling in our very bodies. And that power that raised Christ from the dead is wanting to operate in our lives each and every day. Thank you for such a great salvation. How all of you in the Godhead are part and involved in our salvation. Thank you, Father, for planning it. Thank you to the Son for purchasing it. And thank you to the Holy Spirit for protecting and keeping and guarding it for all eternity. We are blessed to be called the church. We are blessed to be called your children. Let us never forget the richness of your grace and the greatness of our salvation. It is all to Jesus, and we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Wow, praise the Lord.